0: Simran Seti, Multimedia Environmental Journalist. Thank you very much for taking some time out of your Earth Day today to join us here at Lawrence.com.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, we'll just uh, get right into what drives you as an ecojournalist. Why, and and I I noticed in in some of your writings and what we were just talking about, but uh, why is environmental sustainability an ethical issue For example, if I just throw an aluminum can out of the window of my speeding Hummer that's powered by panda blood or something, (laughs) other than just making me a a douchebag and maybe making that Indian on the side of the road weep a single tear, um, how does that fall into the realm of uh, social justice?
1: Um, I think... I think the Hummer part of it falls into the realm of social justice in the sense that when you're driving down the street, you know, just on a regular basis, we emit about 20 pounds of carbon for every gas uh, for every gallon of gasoline that we burn. So. The idea that pollution is going into the air, particularly in certain neighborhoods, in a disproportionate fashion. Uh, I used to live in Harlem in New York City, and Harlem has some of the highest asthma rates in the country. Mm. And in large part because the traffic patterns and what the city has allowed diesel trucks to do is go right through Harlem but avert certain other neighborhoods. So, of course, ultimately, we are all breathing the same air. And I really appreciate what Martha Marks said, who founded uh, Republicans for Environmental Protection, when she said, you know, know, that came out of nowhere. Uh, (laughs) Right up there with
0: log cabin Republicans.
1: Well, no, but the truth of the matter is you know, what she said was, you know, the skies aren't red or blue. The air we breathe isn't red or blue. It's all, like, we all need this stuff and we all depend on it. And I think when we use a disproportionate amount of resources which in turn inhibits other people from using resources, that's when, when these issues become a social justice problem. So it's really about the way we consume our natural resources, um, this sort of renegade idea that we can just, you know, continue to consume petroleum-based products until they're gone um, and that's a good idea, not only for for our population, but for future generations. I mean, that's, to me, the, the moral component of this. It's just sort of, like, how do you want to live? What kind of legacy do you want to leave for your children? Uh, what kind of statement does it make to the world, you know, in the ways that you consume and the ways that you view resources and view people?
0: Hmm. And sort of the Republican counterargument to that is, that, well, you're, you're going to cripple the economy if you were to enact more stringent environmental regulation or crack down on carbon emissions and uh, certain electricity plants. What would your response to that be?
1: Well, my response would be, very recently, um, take a look at what big business is actually already doing and see if they agree with you. And I think increasingly we're seeing a real revolution within the Republican Party and across the board. You know, we this was once, environmental issues were once framed as progressive issues and liberal issues. And, you know, Al Gore has certainly been an, an amazing and an incredibly inspiring spokesperson. But, again, this is not, this is a this is a bipartisan issue. And, you know, recently a coalition of investors and big businesses went to Congress and lobbied for a national climate policy, actually saying that the fact that we don't have any climate policy in place really um, makes the risk for certain companies much greater than others and does not make us a global competitor in the marketplace. So you're seeing really progressive action, particularly in Europe, around climate change policy, around reducing carbon emissions. And I think what we see here in the United States is companies are really taking this on on their own, but because there is no no legislation or regulation around this, um, they're operating in a disparate fashion, so you know when you have you know companies like Alcoa and GE and Walmart saying to the government like we want you to help us and you want, we want you to put limitations on these things, I think that's really a profound statement in terms of the business case for sustainability
0: yeah. and um, one of the other sort of bizarre arguments that I've heard against this sort of thing so far as the, our economic standing in the world is that well China and India aren't doing it, why should we right?
1: <laughs> um, that's, you know, and, and you're absolutely right. We hear that a lot. I'm of Indian origin. I certainly am familiar with what's going on in India. I lived there for a couple of years as an adult, and I've traveled there my whole life. Um, what we see China doing, certainly, and I think that's why they, they are emerging as a leader even against India, is that they actually are taking this seriously. And they realize that that as they grow the middle class, if everyone consumes like Westerners do, they're going to face huge problems in terms of waste management, in terms of you know air pollution, in terms of the sustainability of their food system. Mm-hmm. So when When organizations, when individuals, when um, you know government officials say, well you know China and india aren't doing it, and certainly George Bush has been one of those people, I think one of the things that we can certainly look to is the fact that they are still emerging economies, and yes, they hold very strong places in the world economy and are, are truly emerging as leaders but but the United States still has a tremendous opportunity to um, to build a renewable resource economy and again reinstate our position as a leader in the world so just because they're not doing it yet i think it's because they're emulating an old school model of what what they think wealth and prosperity might be and that is to emulate not the West, but specifically what Americans have done, and I think what we're seeing increasingly is that reduces our competitive advantage. Um, we are certainly not beloved on a global scale the way we used to be. Uh, environmental issues and social justice issues are you know, also issues of national security, economic prosperity, public health, and unless we start to understand the interrelationship between how we live, how we consume, and, and the kind of future that we're building you know, here in America and on the global stage, I think we're going to run into even more problems Politically and globally.
0: Hmm. Let's get a little bit into your personal background. Uh, What attracted you to this sort of eco journalism? I mean, other than, you know, getting an opportunity to work with Oprah Winfrey, Martha Stewart, and Robert Redford, and all of whom, it should be said, are at least 95% uh, renewable materials. Um, (laughs) what What was the path that led you to make a career out of environmental activism?
1: You know what happened was, I mean, I, I'm in, I I immigrated here with my parents when I was a baby from Germany, and I, I as an Indian, I think I've always had an understanding of the world outside of my immediate family, and I've always known of um, what's been going on in different countries across the world. So my worldview was really broadened by two parents who were then scientists who really had a, a fascination with the world and were committed themselves to social justice issues. I remember thumbing through my mom's you know, Utney Reader, back mm. when it was called Utney Reader, you know, in the 1970s because it had nice pictures. You know, <laughs> and at that point, I wasn't really scintillated by dense text. But um, I think I think for me, this has been a real evolution and I feel really lucky that finally this is a time when the kinds of stories I want to tell are coming to the fore. But it it started off as me really um, just having a love of music. And I started off working at MTV News. And then I learned that it was really about telling stories and and documentary filmmaking. And and once I, you know, started getting into that, I realized I truly started to understand the power of the medium of television and, you know, reaching young people. I mean, it's their tough audience. (laughs) And that makes it really challenging and really exciting because you tell stories and you know, compelling ways, and and then I realized that you know the things that I was most interested in at MTV, and this is when I was nineteen, twenty, yeah. twenty one, were the social were the social issues that we were talking about. And now MTV has a whole division dedicated to this, but at the time it was still really emerging and young. And um, and I think then is when I started to you know really forge the desire to to tell different kinds of stories. And it was only when I, get, when I went and got my MBA um, in sustainable business that I started to understand that I had a language and I could tell different kinds of stories. And so much of what we do in the world is uh, connected to business, You know how we invest, what we consume, um, what our political policies are. I mean, all of these things are tied to business, and I got an MBA specifically with the desire to learn this language so I could tell these stories. So um, for me, it's been a real evolution of sort of starting to understand what I wanted to do and then getting really pushed into situations where, I ended up on camera and I started doing a lot of reporting around this I never imagined I would be on the Oprah show or the Martha (laughs) show or be working for Sundance I mean all I wanted to do was just like like have people act, you know, have people become more conscious, provide the information that would inspire action. And these opportunities are, you know, five years ago, I wouldn't have had them. I don't even think, right. I don't even think a year ago, I would have had them. So I feel really lucky yeah. that's happening now.
0: Uh, so that's the path that led you to uh, your, your career path. But uh, what's the path that led you to Lawrence?
1: Ah, The Path That Led Me to Lawrence. Um, actually, I came to Lawrence for love, for a relationship. So that brought me here. And I, um, I have to say I've now fallen in love with Lawrence. I, I think this is a great place. I really, uh, you know, growing up in North Carolina, in Winston-Salem, I understood the idea of having progressive, like a progressive place where one could really um, explore issues and find community in, in a place that might otherwise seem red. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, a little right. blue dot, whatever. I don't want to categorize that too much but but i think i mean i appreciate the relationships that people have with each other and with the land here in lawrence and i really i'm just so heartened by the kinds of um sustainability you know uh practices that are going on at ku Mm. you know with local businesses like this is just a great place to be and i i hope i stop traveling soon (laughs) enough to really enjoy it and
0: um What are some of those local sustainability efforts that you've witnessed in and around Lawrence that uh, caught your attention? Sure.
1: Uh, KU is now now building a sustainability center. So I've been doing some work with Hillel there. And uh, Local Burger is one of my favorites. I actually suggested Local Burger to Sundance. and yeah. they'll, be, they'll be featured in the Sundance series, Big Ideas for a Small Planet. I think the consciousness that you see in everywhere from Body Works to Eco Boutico to you know, Mirth to Z's to, to Local Burger about keeping the money in the local economy, supporting independent businesses, um, and really paying people a fair wage and making sure that, that they're also being environmentally sound. I mean, using, you know, I know Hillary Brown of Local Burger is trying to move towards uh, packaging made out of renewable materials, so rather than styrofoam and plastic, using um, corn-based plastics, you know, using biodegradable cutlery, um, looking at the air quality within a building, making sure that that people are paid a fair wage, you know, sourcing materials, certainly in Hillary's case, from local farms. And I think all of these things are, to me, what sustainability is. And, you know, I think the library is an amazing resource for people who want to find out about these issues. There's always stuff going on there that I think is just terrific.
0: But we mentioned that you have many, many projects that you're working on, uh, on top of you're broadcasting where they do on TV. You also do some more for air America radio. Uh, you've been a published author and, um, many projects and almost too many projects. I I, would agree
1: with you there. Almost too many.
0: (laughs) You must have photovoltaic cells installed on your person to provide the energy for all of this. Uh, But let's focus on one in particular and we've already mentioned the green that's on Sundance right now. What is that project and what is your involvement with that?
1: Um, I am the host of the green. Robert Redford has had a a lifelong commitment to environmental issues and what Sundance channel decided to do is really take that and parlay their commitment to filmmaking to, to really creative and innovative filmmaking, and talk about environmental issues. I, you know, in my in my past I've worked on a PBS series on sustainability looking at the same kinds of things we cover on the green but what I love about the green is it's really entertaining and informative and the material is very accessible so through short films uh, through long form documentaries longer documentaries and through a, an original series called big ideas for a small planet what people will see is innovative ways that everyday people are working towards solving these problems so looking at um, fuel you know our addiction to oil and what mm. we can do looking at cities how how you know People all over the place, from from local government officials to uh, to architects and to urban planners, who are really trying to redesign cities in a way that makes sense. You know that that is more sustainable, that is healthier for the local economy. Um, looking at clothing, that's one of my favorite episodes where uh, we look at eco fashion and, and environmentally friendly designers who are using materials like seaweed and organic silk and and plastic that's been melted down and turned into into clothing fiber um, to really like revolutionize the way we use our clothes and the way we're able to safely, you know, dispose of them so everything doesn't end up in a landfill. So I think this is a really thoughtful way of questioning how we consume and looking at, you know, real alternatives to how we can not only consume better but live better.
0: Hmm. And another one of your projects, um, treehugger.com. Yes. What is treehugger.com?
1: Treehugger is a very tongue-in-cheek name. It, treehugger.com <laughs> is the largest environmental site on the web. Um, we're actually one of the top uh, blogs on the Internet, and it's, it's a really great site. If, if you haven't taken a look at it, I suggest people log on to treehugger.com. It's really a reflection of, I think, the new paradigm of environmentalism, where people are saying you know, they don't want to – you know they're not granola munching off the grid living um you know hemp wearing <laughs> scarcity feeling <laughs> miserable people trying to just conserve resources but but this is to to celebrate the environment is to enjoy your life and that is to look good and to to have beautiful designs and to purchase and consume thoughtfully and and to understand the life cycle of the things that you use and the interconnectedness of us and our natural world so um you know we cover everything from uh stories on on biodiesel to you know to information on how people can look into you know prefab housing and and information on what's going on Politically, and, and through that, I actually host a weekly podcast that people can find through the iTunes directory or on Air America Radio um, for through their show, their environmental show, Eco Talk. So that's what I do for Tree Hugger. Right?
0: Web 2.0 for environmentalism Absolutely. 2.0. Absolutely.
1: I mean, that's the place because it's so <laughs> dynamic and everything is changing yeah. literally every day. And, and for people to be able to find this information in, in a way that's fun and interesting to read, and I mean, there are many sites out there that are terrific resources, but. I have to say, I'm I'm partial to Tree Hugger.
0: <laughs> it is a very fashion-forward yes. eco site. I must <laughs> say, I've, I've, I perused it earlier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, since this is Earth Day, we're speaking to you on Earth Day. Yes. Um, give us a sort of state of the environmental union. Um, where is the environmental sustainability movement today, and where does it need to go? Big question, I know, but if, if you have like sort of a broad stroke uh-huh. impression of that.
1: You know, I interviewed a couple of weeks ago a marine biologist named Dr. Sylvia Earle, and she was the first woman to walk untethered on the ocean floor. She's in her 70s. She was named Time Magazine's first hero of the planet, and she's absolutely extraordinary. And I sat with her, and I said, you know, over 90% of our fish stocks are depleted. I mean, our insatiable appetite for sushi alone is really causing a lot of damage, in addition to the fact that so many of our rivers and streams and oceans are now severely polluted and I just looked at her and it was a moment of despair for me or honestly where I just thought what can we do and she turned to me she grabbed my hand and she said look at all the opportunity we have like it's not over yet and I think that's to me, that's the biggest message that we're seeing right now, you know, whether it is on the Oprah show or in An Inconvenient Truth. Like, we're learning a lot of information right now, and people are taking this information and transforming their lives, whether it be through their love of fashion or whether it be through alternative uses of transportation or, you know, in scientific laboratories, in classrooms. I mean, everything is becoming a crucible for figuring out how to live well and do good by the planet and do well by people. And and that is absolutely inspiring to me. So what I see right now is that 10%, just like Dr. Earl does, that, that we have a tremendous opportunity and that is a, it is an urgent time to really you know, reassess how we, how we live in relationship to our environment and, and figure out how we can sustain this planet.
0: Hmm. Um... And for somebody as steeped in environmental culture as you are, um, is Earth Day kind of like Mardi Gras for environmentalists? (laughs) (laughs) Like, a lot of organic beer, like, on the biodiesel party bus, or is it, like, a more somber, like, reflective day?
1: Honestly, it's neither. Okay. Um, You know, most people in this movement are like, every day is Earth Day, you know, celebrate (laughs) Mother Earth every day, and that's also great, but I have to say, you know, there is a dose of skepticism involved, and I would say for folks to check out grist.org, they did a a hilarious piece on um, they they gave out awards, environmental awards, and it's you know s- things like um, creating fuel from asphalt and <laughs> like the most literally, <laughs> and th- I, it's true. I, I'm I think not. Al Gore could contribute yeah, to that absolutely. too. Absolutely, you know, and, like, and, and looking at some of the most ridiculous things that are being done in the name of like saving the planet, and you know, like really poking fun at it a little bit. But yeah. the reality of the matter is, some of us get a little cynical on this day because we want to make sure that every day is sincerely Earth Day, that we're not. Just just sort of saying okay you know I donned a green ribbon today and I you know praised Mother Earth and then tomorrow I'm going to get back into my Hummer and you know fueled by panda blood and, and throw my luna <laughs> cans out on the yeah. ground like it's it, this is about like a different way of looking at the world and I think what I'm most heartened by is um, you know certainly I was on the Oprah show last week and looking at the comments and feedback from people is they're they are taking this to heart, and they're starting to understand it's not just about today, it's about every day, and I don't think there's anything more inspiring than that. So, yeah. so that's, that's how I approach this Earth Day.
0: <laughs> Cautiously, trepidatiously Cautiously. optimistic. Uh, yes, and off to do laundry with environmentally friendly <laughs> yeah. cleaning products. That's a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just rather go nude. Um, but um, finally, and we've mentioned this a few times, but considering the sort of global impact it has, do you think that that CG bear that was drowning in, in inconvenient truth is going to single-handedly save the environment. <laughs> that animated polar bear, which <laughs> seems to have had more impact and effect on people than any statistic or any level of scientific data could. Oh,
1: people are suckers for bears. You know, Discovery <laughs> Channel is actually has created a, a great series called um, Planet Earth where they yeah. look, at, um, look at what's happening. I think it's just about, yeah, you know, the bears. I mean, we're all, some of us are really a little soft about the bears, yeah. but... But to me, what gets me more than the bears are the people when I see, you know, people in communities where they're surrounded, you know, by trash and environmental waste, you know, electronic waste in large part that gets shipped to places like India and China. Hmm. Um, Or I I know that we spend more money on bottled water than we do (laughs) for milk or for gasoline and that, you know, we could take all of that money and make sure everybody in the world had clean drinking water and thinking about little kids dying from diarrhea because they don't have access to clean drinking water. That gets me more than the bears. So for me, these are all environmental issues, and I think increasingly what we're seeing is that people are framing this not just as environmentalism, but as sustainability, because right. it really is about not just the planet, but the people and the animals, and you know everything, everything on it. So um, yeah, it's the bears and more.
0: <laughs> it's just the, those bears that seems to cut through everything. <laughs> it just it tugs at the emotional heart. And if Al Gore does run for president, oh wait, I think you should name that CG bear as his running mate. <laughs> Sweep the polls. There you go. go. (laughs) All right, well, Simran Seti, thank you very much again for joining us us here on this Earth Day. We appreciate it very much.
1: Thank you.